movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 61, the start of the build-up to one of the most anticipated movies of the year. Honestly, if Endgame hadn't come out earlier, this probably would be the most anticipated movie, but, um, well, we'll talk about it later, but I think this movie's gonna hide in Endgame shadow for a couple years. Uh, we're talking about Rise of Resistance, so we've got three weeks left until Rise of Resistance comes out. So, we had this great idea of, let's, each week, let's talk about one of the trilogies leading up to Rise of Skywalker. So, this week, we're going to be talking about the much divisive, uh, as is anything with Star Wars, the much divisive prequel trilogy. And joining me once again is my good buddy, Michael. Michael, how are you doing this week? Oh, hello there, Nate. Thanks for having me back. I do appreciate it. Welcome back, movie fans. Um, it is a privilege to be here. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. I'm doing very well, in fact, because my Thanksgiving, other than being under the weather, was perfect. It was one of the best ones I've had in a while. Um, and for anyone who hasn't gone to the movies, it's always a tradition for my family and I to visit the movies every Thanksgiving night. We went and saw Knives Out. It was phenomenal. So for anyone who hasn't seen it yet and is looking for a non-spoiler 10-second review, it's worth it in every category. Thank you, Ryan Johnson. If only you could have done that with The Last Jedi. That aside, it's worth your time. But thanks yeah. for having me back. I appreciate it, pal. I wanted to see it this past weekend. Um, and I've marked circled on my calendar for Friday. I've, I'm, oh, I want to see it so bad. Um, are you and Heather both going to see it? Yes, we both are going to see awesome. it. We're both really excited for it. I, I love a yeah, good old fashioned whodunit, and that seems to be the case for this. I'm just very, very excited to see it. Um, and I've so far, like the Rise of Skywalker, have been able to keep myself clean of any spoilers. So good. Yeah. Um, that being said, we're going to get into our rather limited but yet interesting news. Like, we only have three news topics, um, but some of them are rather interesting. And I'm going to both forewarn both Michael and the viewers at home. Um, our top story may go down as m one of my most passionate and rant-filled topics we've ever had. Like, I, I have some very strong feelings about this first one off the top. Um, and I'm sure Michael has some feelings too, but he probably won't express them as volatilely as volatilely. I don't even know if that's a word. That's just how worked up I am about this. Uh, but apparently Superman, we got to always come back to Superman. Superman, as we know, yes. in the Warner Brothers DCEU is kind of up in flux right now. And if it seems confusing as a fan, it's apparently just as confusing as an executive as they are apparently have no idea what the heck to do with Superman. So they are apparently trying to figure out a whole bunch of different ways to quote unquote, try to make him relevant and trying to figure out the code of why Superman doesn't work and how they can quote unquote fix him. And um, mm, I have thoughts about that, but I want to get the complete news story before I delve into my thoughts, because there's a lot to unpack with this Variety article that got um, surfaced. Uh, apparently, not only are DC looking to try and make Superman, quote-unquote, relevant, um, they've also had conversations with Michael B. Jordan, of all people, um, to play a version of Superman in the DCEU. Um now, Michael B. Jordan, of course, most known for his role in Black Panther and Creed. 
uh, I'll break that down in a little bit too. But yes, there was rumors for a while back that they were having discussions. Now these have been confirmed. Uh, Michael B. Jordan turned down the role mainly because he said he's too busy, which I totally believe. He's one of the busiest guys in Hollywood. And not only did they talk to uh, Michael B. Jordan about this, but they've also been talking, or at least J.J. has been talking to them. I don't know if the talks have been reciprocated, but J.J. Abrams has been talking to Warner Brothers about Superman. Hmm, I wish someone had suggested that not too long ago that J.J. should do a Superman movie. Or has been shouting yeah, from the rooftops You should have jumped on that months. bandwagon. <laughs> yeah, well, you, I, I think specifically you brought this idea up to me back in July of, of this year. I was actually on vacation. I mentioned it briefly last week. Yeah, it's only – it's a shame that you had to copy from somebody else. And, and in fact, uh, kidding aside, you were well, well ahead of this for anyone else. Now, you actually said that you, your theory was this was going to happen uh, after the first of the year. Um, but it happened just a little bit before then, this idea that, that there's these rumors uh, going around that he's been meeting with them. I I, I totally when – you, when you pitched that idea to me, Nate, I was I, – I could see it happening. It wasn't something that was out in the ether that was outlandish. I'm like, I actually can see that. And particular with J.J. Abrams, you know, he's a – He's a reboot master, if you will, um, and he likes to, I don't know, add a little bit more flair to uh, franchises that are either either have struggled to reach a mass audience or have died a long time ago. So you have that combined with this massive contract uh, with you know, DC trying to, um, like you said, become more relevant, and that's such an ambiguous term. All of the pieces were fitting together, and I wasn't seeing anyone else theorize this so i still have to say kudos to you i'm just gonna get out of i'm gonna i'm gonna say my piece real quick and just get out of your way because this is your thing um i i love the heck out of michael b jordan you know actually starting with ryan coogler in, in fruitvale station that uh, what a what an amazing film that was and acting script directing everything and then seeing him in creed that's what really kind of sold me not so much fan four stick okay we can just kind of forget that happened. although i will but, i will defend him for a second he's one of the few people trying in fan four stick I, that does not surprise me. I have seen the film. Lucky. Um, yeah. Yes. No kidding. I didn't waste. I didn't waste my time with that. But and then, in particular, obviously, you mentioned Black Panther, really introducing him much more so to to a wider berth of audience uh, with the MCU. The big fan. Uh, I really don't care about a lot of the. I don't, how can I say the aesthetics of Superman? It really does not bother me whatsoever. Um, and nor should it really, in my opinion, from my perspective, I don't care uh, what Superman looks like or his backstory, as long as it's obviously faithful to the comics. You can explain it wherever. But um, I still this idea that we talked about last week with with Henry Cavill basically still clinging onto the cape, and even though it's in the closet, he's still clinging to it. Um, I, I they have a shoe in for somebody that that is dedicated to the character. We said it again last week. I don't want to repeat myself but he seems devoted and in a world where actors um i don't want to point the finger at ben affleck i don't necessarily blame him otherwise but you have henry cavill who's expressed this utmost loyalty to the source material um and and, and that's that's the thing it's like this x factor is actually having a actor actress commit to the source material 
actually believe in the story, not just for the paycheck, who act, who happens to act well. Like there's there's something it seems to be deeper for Henry Cavill. And, you know, I don't blame the studio. You know, if you want to explore new options, I just don't understand. You're going to have to really explain to me why they want to pursue this thing unless they believe out of a lot of where society's going, Nate. Maybe you maybe you can help clarify this for uh, our listeners as well as myself. Is this, does this seem to be Warner Brothers wanting to, in the light of certain societal trends, to kind of cast off a familiar face, if you will, to put it lightly, in order to introduce a new perspective? Uh, if that's the case, I understand. I don't necessarily agree nor disagree, uh, but... I'm, I don't know. I, I, I'm rather ambivalent, to be honest with you. I, I don't know how to feel about this. So help, help me feel. Help me feel, Nate. Oh, I'm feeling enough for the both of us. Okay. So, take a deep breath here. Let me, let me start with my calm thoughts that I can deliver on this first. Um, okay. If we hadn't have Henry Cavill beforehand, I think Michael B. Jordan would have been a pretty decent choice as Superman. Let's address the elephant in the room that in every single iteration that we've seen on um, both the comic and animated movies and live action movies, Superman has been Caucasian. However, I will defend the fact that in no part of Superman's identity is Caucasian part of who he is. He is an alien. So if you wanted to make Superman an African-American, that's totally fine. In fact, in the comics, in an else world, like an um, multiverse, like Earth 2 or something, Superman is black. He's Calvin Ellis, I believe. He's the president of the United States. His secretary is Brainiac, and he's black, and he's Superman, but also being the president, which I think that's weird enough as is that he's the president and Superman, but whatever. Um, so it's not totally unprecedented to have a black Superman. I don't think you necessarily have to have a white guy. I think the only time you have to stick with a race or a nationality for a comic book character is when it is important to the character, like part of who they are. You could have an African-American play Batman. Totally fine, because no part of Bruce Wayne's character is that he's Caucasian. Now, T'Challa, Black Panther, must be played by an African-American actor, because that's part of who he is. Um, a good example of switching up the nationalities recently is Aquaman. In almost all the comics and movies leading up to it, um, Aquaman was a Caucasian blonde guy. And then Jason Momoa, a awesome Polynesian guy was cast, which actually fits the character of Aquaman even better. So race is not the issue here for me. I think Michael B. Jordan, had Henry Cavill not been in it, I think Michael B. Jordan could have been a good choice. It never hurts to act to cast talent, as Campia always says. That being said, <sighs> all right, let's do this. <laughs> WB, you morons. So. What I said earlier with J.J. Abrams, J.J. Abrams himself has been seeking out Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers hasn't been coming to him. He has to seek them out because he wants a Superman movie to be made. Warner Brothers cares that little about Superman that they don't know what to do with him, that they're, they'd rather have him be on the shelf 
than not use him. J.J. Abrams is that much of a fan that he's actually having these meetings first. It's not Warner Bros. coming to J.J. say, hey, fix our Superman problem. It's J.J. going, hey, you guys have a Superman problem. Let me fix it. Now, here's the problem. As soon as they said, as soon as they said, we're looking for ways to make Superman relevant, you immediately lost all credibility, Warner Brothers. You morons. What's the line from Big Fat Liar? I got some R-rated dialogue for you, but I'm going to keep it PG. I'm going to keep it PG. That is what's going through my mind right now of how incompetent can you be? Superman, the character that has existed since 1938, you think because it's 2019, he is no longer relevant. He existed before any other comic book character when the comic book um, code was initiated and wiped out almost every comic book character not named Superman or Batman. Took out the original Justice Society because the comics code, everything had to be family friendly. Uh, who was left standing? Batman and Superman. So if he was fine then, he's fine now. He's relevant today. Only because you all are too lazy to find competent writers to do justice to the character. And I mean justice literally. Justice League. Justice League, what we got was actually the start of something good for Superman. We talked about it last week of Henry Cavill's thoughts on the character. He thought Man of Steel was a great starting point. Completely agree. He thought Batman v Superman was more of a Batman movie and too dark. Completely agree there too. You made Superman a mopey jerk. That is not what Superman is. He needs to be hopeful and inspiration. And honestly, in 2019, what does the world more need more than anything else? Hope and inspiration. If you can't provide the people that and you don't get that that's what Superman is supposed to be, then you will never, ever do a Superman movie right until you understand that. They focus so much on the God analogy of Superman is Jesus, which, yes, that is part of his character is that he's a Jesus metaphor. But every single Superman movie since the original Christopher Reeves movie has failed to realize the single most important part of Superman. And that's Clark Kent. You need to take the cape off for us to care about Superman. Because Superman, at the end of the day, will always do what's right and save people. There's nothing wrong with having a good character for the sake of goodness. Look at Captain freaking America in the MCU. I'm not going to lie. When he first came into the MCU, I didn't really care. I thought he was just a goody two-shoes. Then, by the end of Endgame, I'm bawling my eyes out because he went, underwent this fantastic arc and became one of my favorite movie characters ever. But at no point did he sacrifice his morality or change anything about who he was he was a good character for the sake of being good and if you don't get that dc then you will never understand how to make superman work he's good for being good sake you always want interesting characters with edge if you're dc they rely so heavily on batman always have always will because they have never figured out how to make superman work you had the original christopher reeves only half of which were good because you crapped out three and four then you waited years and years you shut down plenty of up-and-coming superman movies one of which was a nonetheless called flyby um then you uh, had superman returns which felt a little bit too much like the superman uh the christopher reeves movies we genuinely have never had a truly masterful superman movie which i firmly believe we can get if you don't think Superman's relevant in 2019, a theoretically, he's an illegal immigrant who has to deal with a corrupt ruler of his city that he's more or less in charge of the press. Maybe that's it. He had to portray the press in a positive light. 
Um, but and uh, I'm taking. I'm taking the baseball bat of rage from Warner Brothers over to the person that I really point the figure out right now for how we interpret Superman, and that's Zack Snyder. I know you don't like it that much. I really enjoy Man of Steel, but it did not indebt a lot of people to it. And how he portrayed Superman, I know he supposedly had this like long-term plan of what he wanted to do for Superman, but at no point did Zack Snyder understand the core of Superman in my eyes? That's just my opinion. You may think differently, and that's totally fine. Uh, I know a lot of people like to crap on Justice League. The best parts of Justice League are the Joss Whedon parts, and I will defend that till the day I die, of when he comes back to life and fights Steppenwolf at the end. That is the Superman we need in a movie. Not mopey, oh, I'll help people because that's the burden I bear. No, Superman... Yes, he bears the weight of the world on his shoulders, but he does it with a smile on his face because he knows it's the right thing to do. Yes, he's got the burden of caring about the world, but he's the person that cares about millions and millions of people, but still loves and cares deeply for the individual. You need to make him a good person for goodness sake. Um, there's... You, I don't get it. This just confirms my fears that we won't get Henry Cavill. And you asked, why would they not keep Henry Cavill? Because I think, like me, they may blame Zack Snyder. Um, and unfairly blame Henry Cavill because of it. They'll always associate Henry Cavill with the Snyder movies, for better or for worse. Um, which, even at their worst, Henry Cavill tries his absolute best and he is my favorite superman it's just a matter of he never got his time to shine and i would love for jj abrams to just rip the reins away from dc and be like if you won't do it i'll do this myself and end up being a really good superman movie but one of us continues to just not get it of why do people why do people like superman why has he been around for 80 years it's because he's a good character that has never not been relevant so when you say he's not relevant now oh so superman just suddenly fell out of touch with the common person no you just misunderstand what he stands for he's a good person for the sake of goodness and honestly the world needs more good in it and superman is the ultimate good I'm sure I have more thoughts, but I'm going to give myself an aneurysm if I keep going. <laughs> well, I I will say your 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 opinion is not unfounded. It's not. I, I don't think it, it's illogical. I, I don't think it's something that um, we can look at and say, "Well, no, you're you're overreacting to this." I I, I really don't. Um, the the fact of the matter is, uh, at least for me, that what I what I find about the good parts of Superman are the actual him discovering you know, his powers. It's, it's not the, I think the Clark Kent moments um, are, I, I th- I'm glad that they're, they're there. The, the camera lingers. It doesn't rush through um, those moments. Um, the, the, in particular, the flashback sequences I think are the most powerful uh, between him and Paul Kent. I think Paul Kent's death, though, is one of the most hilarious and most terrible deaths in movie history, uh, aside from Talia al Ghul and Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> I did. Uh, it's it's a little, it's a absolutely stupid. It, the the sentiment there is the world's not ready. Like I think that's powerful, just done in a really bad way. The, there are aspects that I love about about Man of Steel, but there's stuff that I just I loathe. Um, I I don't mind the fact that he that he. 
ends up uh, killing General Zod. I don't I don't have a problem with that. But my my thing is is that he it's a victim mentality and a victim narrative um, that for and that that's the problem I think a lot of times these like any any superhero film for the most part all of the all of the superheroes are have a victim and a narrative they all have a victim narrative even I guess you you could say Captain America being the most boring superhero of all of them uh, he's not but I mean as far as like what he is it's it's not the most exciting um, he is my favorite in the MCU for the record he's very very much so uh, but. He, after you have this heroic, you know, this period piece of a film in the first Avenger, the second movie, the Winter Soldier, has to have him being betrayed by his country and on the run and being um, framed. And he has to have a victim mentality in order to move the narrative forward. In, in the original 1978 Superman, Christopher Reeve, he's morally perfect. He's just, he's upright, truth, justice, American way. The only weakness, only weakness is kryptonite. Uh, he's, nope. he's not. Nope. I'll say, people always get this wrong. I will say kryptonite is one of his weaknesses. His other weakness is his greatest strength, and that's his compassion for others. Like, he will not sacrifice people. Yeah, okay. If you want to go, yes. I mean, there's, I will say, yes. If you want to talk about, he doesn't have, that's I don't even want to call that a weakness. I mean, I think compassion and empathy is is a is a strength. Um, it can be used against you, of course. But I don't want to. I don't. I would philosophically say that's not a weakness. But I don't want to. That's almost tit for tat for for that matter. But in Man of Steel, guys in a wreck. Now he he's cosmically lost. He has no idea who he is. It's this search for identity. He's betrayed as a victim people bullying him people not understanding him well now i am not going to say that that's that's not more reflective of current culture i'm not i'm not saying that that's not indicative of a current narrative that's realistic to today's terms i'm not going to say i think it more more so is it's it's a postmodern millennial remake of superman if he was to realistically as an alien be raised with uh, uh, like in the heartland of America, who has these powers, and it is the real struggle: if is the world ready to experience or be is, is the world ready for this revelation that one they're not alone in the universe, and two I am a god amongst ants. Uh, I have the you know if you will the hourglass um, or magnifying glass, excuse me. And I have the power of the sun and you guys are just ants. So like that, I think could have been explored more, but the idea that he doesn't have this, you know, at the beginning of the film, he doesn't have this sense of who he is in the personal life. I don't think it was, it hit home. Now from the Superman perspective, him learning how to use his powers and, and defeat Zod, that makes sense. Like yeah, that air arc, but his Clark Kent, arc which i think proves maybe in a different way than you what you were thinking but for me i have to agree his arc from the beginning of that film of who he personally is in the daily in his daily life away from the cape does does not like ever wrap up by the end of the movie and then he's lost completely lost in in justice league um and like i i know I, he, how he stands for and like his, the big quote that we talked about last week Makes total sense for Superman, but not for the Superman they started out with. So yes, the Joss Whedon stuff I really liked, but I mean even 
no, I, I, Batman v Superman is it, just like I, I never. You're absolutely right, Nate. I don't want to stumble over myself anymore. They, he did not capture the essence of who Clark Kent is, and I feel I believe that even the 2004 Superman Returns, you had a better idea of who he was. 2006? I thought it was 2004. Excuse me. Um, Superman Returns had a better idea of who Clark Kent was. Yeah, the first and, half of that is actually really, really good. And then the first half, the second half comes to a screeching halt of momentum of nothing happens. Yeah. I, it's it's hard. It, it's it's hard because every every superhero film, you look at the MCU, the, the characters have legitimate weaknesses, which makes the plot compelling. The, we actually had an argument about this in college, I don't know what one point it was prior. I want to say it was our junior year. I don't think we were roommates at the time, but I, we were talking about Man of Steel, and I was comparing it to the first Superman film. And I and maybe this is the case where it wouldn't work with the audience today, but Superman's supposed to be that ideal person, and his physical traits just happen to match the the spirit of him as well. So he's the envy of a lot. But that's why he's the leader. That's why he is the icon. And if you make him tragically lost, the search of identity, he's just relatable on a personal level. But I don't think Superman, for his physical powers, necessarily should be relatable to everybody. So Because if we have our idols, we, we don't relate to our idols. We have somebody that we're aspiring to be. So I don't know. That Maybe actually, you can help me figure um, this out. Reminds me. Perfectly of something. So uh, when this Variety article was posted on Twitter, there's a whole bunch of retweets and everything of people basically screaming at Warner Brothers, you idiots. Um, one of the best responses I saw came from writer Neil Gaiman, of all people, he re- who retweeted the article and says, don't make him relevant. Make him inspiring. And I'm going, dude, I want to hug oh, wow, you right okay. now. Yeah. That, okay. Wow. That's that's pretty encouraging. Um, and yeah, so no kidding. Uh, one last thing before we... I could talk about this stupid issue all day. One more thing I want to say is what makes Superman different than like a Batman or everyone else is in or out of the suit, he's the same person. Like um, when Peter Parker uh, suits up as Spider-Man, he becomes more confident because he doesn't have to hide or anything. Clark, yes, he may pretend to be more sheepish, but he still does good things for people as Clark Kent. There is no difference between Clark Kent and Superman other than the fact that Superman is more of the public face. There's a big difference between Bruce Wayne and Batman. At his core, Bruce Wayne is Batman. At his core, Superman is Clark Kent. There's a big difference there, I think. Um, and the characteristics of Superman were summed up in this um, one comic that I once read. I forget what issue it was or what storyline it was connected to. Um, but there was a teen at the top of the Daily Planet building or one of the buildings in Metropolis and was going to jump and commit suicide and instead of swooping in and saving them Superman just kind of sits on the ledge next to them and just talks to them for the afternoon and just approaches them on a one-on-one basis Um, nothing serious just like the food in Metropolis just saying oh you like that food have you ever tried their like oh no that food so much better just like talking to them on a personal level that's the Superman we really need of Making a personal connection cares about the individual, not just saving the world, but saving the person first. Um, I've I've dedicated way too many videos, enough as is on my the channel. Um, way too much time on this. Let's segue away from this before I get even more upset. To 
arguably the weirdest news story we have ever covered, <laughs> like ever. So before today, the weirdest thing we've ever covered was Hans Zimmer being announced to do the music for the SpongeBob movie before anything else about the movie was announced, like title, director, anything. But now, now we have the creme de la creme of what the heck. Uh, Johnny Depp, the king of weird, um, bad boy of Hollywood right now, and not the good kind of bad boy. Um, I honestly thought he was just blacklisted from Hollywood right now. Um, but apparently he is producing a Michael Jackson movie, which in and of itself sounds weird. Um, but he's producing a Michael Jackson movie from Michael Jackson's gloves perspective. Um, so how much drugs is Johnny Depp on now? And can he find it? Is he allowed to do this? Um, so when you sent me, when you sent me this article, I had to one go to a credible source, and then I had to go to a non-credible source because I I had to make sure what I was reading was consistent for one. But I had to read a couple articles and reread them because I didn't understand what I was reading. Like I understood it was English, I I just didn't understand why we put those words in a sentence. It's like when you play either Cards together. Against Humanity or Super Fight and just draw three random cards. All right, we've got Johnny Depp, Michael Jackson. And a glove. You know, that's, that's actually, yeah, our apples to apples. And like now you have to improvise and like a whose line is it anyway, sketch from hell and try to make that funny. Like it doesn't, um, what's my reaction to this? I mean, sure. It's, it's, it's a stage play. Is that right? It's not actually going to be a feature film. Is, is that? Okay. All right. Well, um, I, I, sure. You know, there, there's plenty of things that can get greenlit. Who am I to say that this should or should not exist? I will tell you emphatically, though, I do not care, and therefore I will not be going. That's not the most interesting opinion. However, it's it, it really you can almost just cover this and move on because it it really does speak for itself, and that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> like, I know the Jackson estate finally gave permission i forget to i think it was the guy that did rocket man he's going to be do, producing a michael jackson movie like that's separate from this um which right obviously no matter how they portray it they're gonna have to sugarcoat some things um because michael michael jackson is one of those guys that is long overdue for a biopic because he's like the biggest name in music ever if you've got one for freddie sure. mercury if you got one for elton john you really eventually need to do one for michael jackson but He's different than Freddie Mercury and Elton John because of the numerous controversies surrounding Michael Jackson. So, right for good or for bad, you're clearly going to miss some stuff. Um, like, while I wasn't a huge fan of Bohemian Rhapsody as a whole, they did but didn't sugarcoat Freddie Mercury, like who he was, what he was about. And the same thing with um, Rocket Man. That's very... Being gay is very different than the stuff that Michael Jackson did. Michael Jackson did yes. felonies. Yeah, it... Yeah. Like, Freddie Mercury well, and Elton John yeah. never dangled a baby off a balcony. Listen, yeah, I mean... Listen. 
it, it it's perfect that Johnny Depp is thrown in on this story. Like it's just perfect. Like it's just the way it's supposed to be. It's like the law at this point. I bet you anything he wants Again, to play the king of pop himself. Yeah, I mean somebody. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to, I know how to feel about this Michael Jackson. There's I honestly I don't have a whole lot to say on on him uh, as as a person as an entertainer, one of the best entertainers obviously is all, of all time. I just don't get what the point is here. Not that you need a point to make something of an art form. That's the beauty of art. However, I'm going to struggle to really care as much about this i will say though so. that johnny depp already nailed being michael jackson in the willy wonka movie yeah. <laughs> oh man no i didn't see that out of the fear of uh having nightmares was it that bad he oh gosh as a lifelong uh raw doll and charlie and shock factory book uh fan i've read that book so many times my copy of that book is so beat up, but I know it's like my baseball glove. I always know where my copy of Charlie and Chocolate Factory is. That movie's an abomination to filmmaking. Oh, good. Oh, excellent. That's, uh, that's fantastic news. Speaking of uh, <laughs> abomination, abomination is an MCU character and he was a villain in Hulk. So now we're going to segue to an interesting rumor about a villain in an MCU movie. May not be my best transition, wow. but I've had worse. Um, fantastic segue <laughs> so um, production will soon be starting within a year or two for Black Panther 2 now I had heard for a while that there were rumors that Killmonger would be coming back which I don't get considering he was impaled like Olaf uh, <laughs> he was impaled in Black Panther but he supposedly is coming back now though there are different rumors now granted they may not be the most credible sources, but it's been a slow news week. Cut us a break. Um, but I also think there's some interesting thoughts behind this, that there's now rumors that the current villain being planned for Black Panther 2 is the Fantastic Four's Doctor Doom. Um, I have thoughts, not nearly as many as my Superman thoughts, but before I get into it, Michael, what do you think about the potential of Doctor Doom being in Black Panther? Well, Here's the thing. This very well could be the catalyst to introduce, obviously, well, it would. And this is the obvious statement, but really for Fantastic Four. I mean, the Fox properties into Marvel, but doing it very slowly. This has Kevin Feige's you know, blueprints all over it. I think it's a brilliant way to do it. If I'm not mistaken, I believe in the comics, uh, one of the ways that they first intertangle is Dr. Doom's empire slowly creeping and encroaching upon the territory that is Wakanda, which brings Black Panther and Dr. Doom into direct conflict. Is, is that my, is that correct? Uh, I wouldn't is that be what surprised happens? that that is one of the stories eventually, okay. because both of them are rulers of their respective lands. Sure. So like that idea, uh, I never, honestly, I never would have thought they would introduce that particular villain. Uh, the Killmonger, uh, that thing has been around forever. That just seems like the fact that Michael B. Jordan, again, is a hot commodity. Why not bring him back somehow? Uh, but it, it seemed like the end of the film is that he chose death over over prison. If he has somehow survived, that kind of undermines like him dying for what he believed in. So I, I don't want him to come back, even though I thought they if him – allowing the Wakandan people to, uh, you know, basically, um, 
expressed their hospitality if he was going to give them that privilege. I thought it had been really, really cool, but you know, he died for what he believed in. Uh, so uh, his stuff, stuff is done. Bringing Doctor Doom though, so so far out of left field. Like in my opinion, as far as what the next logical villain would be, I, I don't know what that would look like. But he's he's so different, and I've only seen him in a context where he's fighting the Fantastic Four. Um, so him fighting somebody else and, and not being associated with them is very interesting to me. Uh, the fighting styles, like I, I just I think it could be great. So I am all for this idea, and I honestly hope it happens. And I know it's a rumor, but I hope it becomes confirmed. Uh, there's been a lot of rumors with Black Panther too because um, I heard Killmonger at one point, but I also heard talk. This is mainly just fan casting, but there were some rumors uh, about Namor being the villain. For those that don't know, Namor is kind of like Marvel's version of Aquaman, who rules um, the undersea, and so they could uh, underwater could clash with Wakanda over some events or something. Uh, so Namor in the comics started off as a villain and then became a good guy, a member of the Avengers. So he's one of those characters that a few years ago Marvel got the rights back to him, and I think they've been having him in his back in their back pocket for a while. So eventually they'll show him, bring him up. Um, I. I love the character of Doctor Doom, even if he's never really been given the fair shake on the big screen, because he's been royally screwed over in both the Tim Story movies and Fan Four Stick. Oh, he was especially bad in Fan Four Stick. He was a crash test dummy. Um, but I like this idea. Uh, it all depends on how they want to execute it. So far, almost everything casting wise that the MCU has done has worked out pretty really. Well, I've always had this fear, though, in the back of my mind, and I don't think they would just because of how much it would piss off the fans. Um, it worked for the case of Mysterio, but I've always been afraid that when they do introduce Doctor Doom, they kind of make him like uh, Iron Man light of like, he's a tech mogul who's just really good with robots and stuff, which is not what Doctor Doom is. That's part of who he is, not everything. And so it seems to me at times the MCU kind of gets hung up on everything has to be connected to Iron Man somehow. That's, I think, the biggest weakness of Far From Home. It relied too much on the Tony stuff. So I've always been kind of worried about that with Doctor Doom. Uh, but if he's interested in the, introduced in a Black Panther, I, okay, I could see that. Maybe he you steals some, like, vibranium to make his suit or... um. He just knows too much about Wakanda, and they're, like, going to war. But also, if you introduce Doctor Doom, like, as a ruler, you kind of have to introduce Latvia at some point, where he's from, and you've never once mentioned Latvia just because you've never had the rights to the characters. Um, I don't think they're just going to out-and-out dump a completely new, like, big character like that without first teeing him up in some other movie. So I don't buy these rumors, I think Doctor Doom will at least be teased or mentioned in some other movie first before this. Like, uh, don't get me wrong. When we get um, Fantastic Four, Doctor Doom, the X-Men, Galactus, all those characters, I think they'll be teased in the end credits first before we see them on screen. And when we do, those will be the biggest um, MCU end credits, like, ever. And I've, I've talked about with Josh on the podcast before, uh, whenever we get Fantastic Four, how great would it be if the end credits is just... A phone sitting on a desk and a wide shot, ringing. Just ringing, ringing, ringing. And then out of nowhere, a stretchy hand comes from the left side of the screen and picks up the phone. And that's it. Oh, that would be that would be amazing. That's all that you need. Be, 
Yeah, no kidding. And I've said it before, for Silver Surfer, just an end credits of just a wide shot of space. And you see Earth, you just linger on that for about 15, 20 seconds, no one knows what's happening. Then the bottom left-hand corner of the screen, a silver board appears. No feet or anything, just a silver board and then cut to black. Yeah, I could see it. But yeah, I think it. you you got to right set up Doctor Doom first before you introduce him because honestly, no offense to Black Panther, he's a threat too big for Black Panther by himself. If you did him justice to the character, Doctor Doom is an Avengers level villain. He yeah, never got that feel from like the cinematic. Um, That's because they're trash. Experience. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know they are. But I mean, what what exactly? I guess for those who don't know, what what exactly? Is he uh, like why? Why is he so dangerous, and what type of abilities does he bring to the battlefield? Uh, I forget if it's either him or Black Panther, but one of the two of them is the wealthiest person in the world. It's not Iron Man; it's either Black Panther or Doctor Doom. I forget which one. Um, he's also what he's wealthy, but he's also one of the smartest people. He's smarter than Iron Man. The only people that are potentially smarter than him are Reed Richards. Um, he commands an army of doom bots that are at his well at any time. He's just a brilliant tactician, like knows his opponent's moves, like three or four moves ahead. Smart, money, and basically a whole military army. Also owns a country, which, um, believe it or not, the people that he's governed over actually like him. Like he actually is a pretty good ruler. Yeah, I guess you have the means and the brains and the money. Yeah, it depending on obviously how you play all that, you are very dangerous. I didn't realize um, that he was smarter than than Tony Stark. I didn't realize. Yes, there's that. several characters that are smarter than Tony. He's there's not many, but there's there's a few, and he's one of them. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, the, uh, you got anything else? You ready to talk? The, you ready to talk prequels? Well, well, actually, one of the. Well, one of the things I wanted to, to ask you about uh, in particular, as far as, as film goes, um, you know, as we get closer to the holiday season, is there is there anything, um, you know, this is this is award season, um, you know, film or uh, film studios, they like to kind of have the same feel of film around the holidays, award season. Is there anything particular that you're looking forward to as more of a sleeper pick as we approach this. I know we're going to be talking a lot about Star Wars, and rightfully so. I mean, why not talk about stories? But Star Wars, excuse me. Is there anything else, though, that's going to slip in under the radar that um, you are going to encourage people here in the next coming weeks to go see, you think? I mean, um, 1917 is going to have a limited release on Christmas. I mean, I'm looking forward to that, but I, I don't know if it's going to be available in my area. But that's the only other film that I really have a desire to see it. Can you, can you sell another one for me or for our listeners at all? 1917 is definitely up there. If it is near me, I will absolutely go out of my way to see that. That looks really, really good. Uh, Heather's saying that she really wants to see it too. And there's one that Heather and I have wanted to see forever, but it's like just about impossible to find a theater near us showing it that I'm so glad you asked. Cause as soon as you said underrated movie that you, that I've desperately wanted to find, like, I thought it was hard for me to find The Lighthouse, which is going to go down as a really underappreciated movie this year. Um, but there's one of the ones from, and I'm, I'm completely serious when I say this, one of my favorite actors, Shia LaBeouf, has a movie that it's on, I think, Amazon now. 
that I've desperately been trying to find it in theaters because the, I don't think they release it nationwide, but I want to see it when it does. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out a little bit before award season because I could see him get nominated for it. A movie called Honey Boy, which is um, basically the life of an early years, like the early troubled years of Shia LaBeouf um, because he grew up in a really dysfunctional family and a really abusive father, except in the movie, the father will be played by Shia LaBeouf. And Shia oh, LaBeouf wow. will be played by A Quiet Place's Noah Jupe. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this, when Shia okay. LaBeouf uh, went into court-ordered rehab, they kind of made him go into like a, we want you to do work on a creative, constructive project. So he teamed up with this director to make this project more or less as like a healing process for him to work out through some of his issues. And I've heard this film is just phenomenal and, like, brutally honest to who he is. Like, here's my crap that I had as a child, and this is why I was the way I was as a teenager, and this is why I am who I am now. And I'm like, dude, that sounds brutally honest, and I need to see this. This sounds fascinating. Mm-hmm. Wow, I didn't realize. Is 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 that having a... Like a regional release, a limited run? I don't know. It seems like incredibly limited. Like I have not been able to see this anywhere and I've been trying to get, find how I could see it. I think it might be on like an Amazon video thing, but I know it had at least a limited theatrical run, but I'm just like, he's willing to just put himself out there that much. Um, And then I also saw one of his criminally underrated movies this year called Peanut Butter Falcon, which was now available on Blu-ray, which is great. It's a sleeper hit. Um, but I, I really want to see Honey Boy. That's one of those like award season ones that I think is going to sneak up on some people that I really want to see. But yes, 1917 as well. As a camera person myself who can appreciate some good cinematography, and Roger Deakins is my hero. He's the guy that did Shawshank, Skyfall. Um, dude knows how to make good cinematography. And from what I've heard about 1917, see it just for the camera work. Mm-hmm. Well, that uh, I'm glad. I are you? Uh, I'm a, so I you've specifically left out Frozen Two. Is that not at the top? Uh, of your Heather face? saw it and actually said it was pretty good. So okay, um, I might see it once it's on Disney Plus. Like I hate the first one with a fiery passion, but the second one has had some really good trailers and I've heard some good things about it. I've heard it's a little messy at times like narratively speaking, but as a whole, I've heard I will enjoy this one. Um, so I'll give it a shot probably once it's on Disney plus knives out is definitely up there. I want to see knives out real bad. Awesome. Okay. Alrighty. Well, I'm, I'm glad I I do appreciate, uh, appreciate the, the honesty there, uh, when it comes to, um, frozen, that was really funny. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I have not seen the first Frozen. I haven't seen many of a lot. I mean, many upon many Disney films uh, to other people's demise. I only me. just recently uh, saw Moana after people have been saying I need to see it forever. Um, and I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't see it sooner because had oh people told me who the directors were, I would have dropped everything and watched the movie a lot sooner. The guys that did it, Moana are Musker and Clements who did Treasure Planet. Yeah, it it is a phenomenal film. I saw that in theaters and was blown away. I mean, also The Rock. How can you not go wrong with The Rock at this point? Well, it's very um, easy to go wrong with The Rock, but um, wait a minute, isn't Jumanji the next level coming out here? Oh, this I'm month? so glad you brought that up. I really love the first one, and the trailers so far yeah. for the second one are really good. 
Holy cow, that comes out next week, December 13th. Uh, yeah, I'm seeing that, too. Um, yeah, the first one well, was that's a funny. pleasant surprise of you had no right to be as good as you were. <laughs> yes, that's very true. Uh, but well said. For, uh, well said. Um, yeah, no, that was uh, – my dad and I watched that at the, about last year uh, on VOD, and uh, it was uh, – we laughed pretty much the entire way through, and – and from what I've heard about the reviews so far um, is that it's just as good, if not better, than the first, which is unfortunately with sequelitis going around a lot of the, the industry, that's very encouraging to hear. Yeah, I heard it's, it's very good. And isn't it also – isn't the first one, the reason why I think it was as good as it was is it was Jake Kasdan, son of Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote Empire Strikes Back. Yes, I believe you are correct, sir. And he he held his own. That movie is really well written, but also it's really really funny. The good characters. So I'm glad to see a lot of them returning. <laughs> um, also, while we're on the subject of Jumanji, and last thing before we go into our main discussion, I really got to give credit where credit's due. Of the first Jumanji, actually kind of made me a fan of Nick Jonas. He was surprisingly you know, I, good in the I first Jumanji. I normally would criticize you for that, but huh. you know. You're you're not wrong. Yeah, he's he's pretty decent. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised, and he was one of those ones that I was like, actually, you know what? I actually wouldn't mind more screen time with you. <laughs> yeah, the uh, well, he is back in this, I believe. He is yep. back in this film. Are uh, actually all of the actors from the first one basically like the four kids coming back, and just are not the four kids are not getting the right bodies digitized? Yes, I believe so. So that's kind of weird. I'm curious how they're going to play that because I was a little disappointed. I thought that's what the case with the first trailer. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What happened? To, what is, what's happening to the other two kids? Like, I, well, I it also really sounds like they're going to be, be shuffling the bodies around a lot like um, that scene in Scooby-Doo. Uh, even though that's my favorite show in the, uh, of all time. Believe it or not, it is. I don't know what you're The live action Scooby Doo where they like switch souls. Oh that's why I didn't understand what you're Which I don't I have a long spiel about the live action Scooby Doo, but I'm gonna cut it off there because I can talk it it's a fascinating story with that movie, but we need to talk Star Wars. Um, Yes we do. Yes we do. So Michael, you got a sponsor for us this week before we get into Star Wars? Well, I will say this. Everyone is looking for a, a brand that they can be loyal to because they are loyal to them. And being the son of a now retired, uh, tenured, 25 year, 25 career, tenured first responder, my father, one of my favorite brands is Under Armour. Under Armour, I, they're not, they are not paying me to say this, but they're paying me to say this, is one of my favorite brands. Wait, you're getting paid? And, uh, I, well, listen, I wasn't going to say that, but I'm at, at this point, yes. Um, I am a fake but not fake Under Armour representative. And one of the the best products and lines that they produce is the Freedom Collection. Under Armour Freedom, uh, they partner with uh, sponsors such as Team Rubicon. Um, They support uh, many other non-for-profits. And it's a fantastic program that if you are an active military veteran or a first responder, you can go through just a brief application to prove that fact, and you can get 10% off. A lot of their apparel and the Under Armour brand, again, under their Freedom Collection, uh, is America First, and all and proceeds for that, all the sales, portions of them go to support 
the men and women who fight for this country and protect and preserve it from within. And my father being one of them, I'm a proud Under Armour wearer and consumer and particularly their freedom collection. You go to underarmor.com slash freedom and you can find their products there, men, women, boys, girls. They have shirts, shorts, shoes, uh, hoodies. It's an amazing line of apparel. Um, I will say this tongue in cheek. It is something I own. I own 11 now. I believe 11 of their shirts in the Freedom Collection and several other accessories. It's an amazing, amazing line. This American company um, still support America and um, those who seek to protect it from those who wish to harm it or also protect those who um, unfortunate harm happens upon them. So if you guys are looking for a new brand of apparel, just check out the Under Armour Freedom Collection available now. Murica. <laughs> That's basically what I heard. Murica, Murica. Now there go from is. Murica to Star Wars and probably, well, it was the most controversial part of Star Wars up until the sequel trilogy. That's why I always laugh when these like new movies come out. Where people are just like, the Star Wars fandom's divided. I'm like, the Star Wars fandom's always divided. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but today, we're going to be talking about the prequels. The movies that I insist are not as bad as we make them out to be, but they're still pretty bad. Um, so we're going to talk about a couple of different things. We're going to talk about our earliest memories that we remember about each of the movies. Um, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. Um, our general thoughts and impressions about the movie. Uh, an MVP candidate for each of the movies. Because, yes, there are some shining moments in each of the three. Our favorite moments from those movies. And then we're going to rank the three movies. Um, so, I'll start with Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace came out the day I graduated from kindergarten. And I remember fondly playing with Legos, talking about how excited we were that we get to see Star Wars later that day. And I still don't think that it's that bad of a movie. Um, so family tradition, more or less, when we get out of the car, um, is like we get in the car, we're going back home. We we all say like our favorite things about the movie, like what we like, what our favorite part was. I remember I loved it because my little brain was ingesting more Star Wars that I had never seen before. And on that day, my love of Ewan McGregor was born, and it's not looked back since. But I remember um, just saying what I loved about the movie because I was like six at the, mm, I wasn't six yet. I was, I was still yeah. five because it was, uh, May, 1999. Um, so I wasn't even six yet. I, my little brain was still excited to get more Star Wars. I distinctly remember when I asked mom and dad what their favorite thing was, there was some hesitation <laughs> that I didn't really yeah. realize at the time that they were like trying to figure out what they liked about the movie which as an adult means, oh, yeah. They probably didn't like it because they were adults and the movie's not made for them. And the words of Patrick no. Willems, one of my favorite YouTubers, Star Wars is a movie about space wizards aimed at children. Yes. That is, uh, that, <laughs> that, that is about as accurate as you could put it. Are, were you, so this came out in 99. Were you, you're older than me, so you actually saw it in theaters then. Okay. Yes, I did. Uh, Proudly, uh, at least uh, twice. I, I did not. I did not have the luxury of doing that. I watched it for the first time on VHS at my friend's house. I believe in 2000, 2001, uh, it was the first time I saw it in no, being seven years old, I think at most it was an enjoyable time. Um, I, I, you know, I didn't really. I had to be told 
that the movie was terrible. I did not come to that conclusion on my own. Um, so after watching it, you know, many times back, once I was able to, you know, formulate my own opinion, it was one of those things like, oh, okay, well, it's just vastly different than Return of the Jedi. And for those who waited 16 years, who never thought they were getting another episode to get what you got in The Phantom Menace, uh, I understand it could be a bit of a shock. Yeah, I still don't think Phantom Menace is nearly as bad as people make it out to be. Um, Believe it or not, I still think it may be at my parents' house, but I know for a fact we still have my Phantom Menace VHS. Oh, really? Like, every other Star Wars movie, um, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, we had on DVD. We had the original trilogy of the special edition Star Wars trilogy on VHS, but we'll talk about that extensively next week. Uh, But Phantom Menace was one that we never bought again on DVD. That was still our VHS. So I was super excited when I got the Star Wars Blu-rays when they came out in 2011 that I could finally watch um, Star Wars uh, Phantom Menace over and over again because as a kid... This is going to make me sound super nerdy, but I don't care. People know who I am already. Um, Phantom Menace was a movie that I saw so much, and I knew, like, the back of my hand so well that when I was a... You know when you're a kid, you, like, play movies in your head when you're trying to go to sleep? Phantom Menace was my movie that I would play in my head when I was going to sleep because I knew it so well. It'd be like, I just put a TV on in my brain to help me go to sleep, and... Maybe because it was Phantom Menace and that movie's super boring. It knocked me right out every single time because Phantom Menace <laughs> is super boring. Yeah. There's not a lot happens. No, but there are some good moments. We'll get to that in our favorite moments. Um, what are your earliest memories about Attack of the Clones? you remember that any better from 2002? Um, yes, actually. I because So this was, you know, May 2002. I just coming out of second grade. Uh, or while well, still second grade, still going on at this point. Uh, I'm from, particularly for me, I remember the promos a lot more. I remember a particular commercial for it um, where uh, it's it, they were actually so it's kids in a theater watching the part of the movie where Anakin's going through uh, the conveyor belts and the droid control factory, and and there's a moment where this kid is like teleported in. And he gets a lightsaber and comes back and his friend is eating his popcorn and he just ignites his lightsaber and his friend gives him back the, the popcorn. I, I don't know. I, I remembered a lot of the build up to the film. Uh, piggybacking off remember... of that, actually, I completely agree. I remember so much of the merchandising of Attack of the Clones had Star Wars gogurts of like when you finish the yes. tube, it would light yes. up. And oh my gosh, I have never eaten so many gogurts in my life. Um, yes. But also, I for- completely forgot to mention, and I know you were definitely a recipient of it too, uh, with The Phantom Menace, how much merchandising there was. So when I lived in Pennsylvania at the time in 99, um, there wasn't a lot of Taco Bells by us, and it was a big deal when a Taco Bell like, opened down the street from us, but I remember Taco Bell had Phantom Menace toys, and we still have mine, of like, it was kind of like a snow globe, but not. Like, it would pop open and the characters would move. I had one that it was a ball of Tatooine, so the uh, lid would open up and it was Qui-Gon and Darth Maul fighting and they'd go back and forth with each other. Uh, I remember so much merchandising 
And that's something that I've lamented to Heather recently that I remember back back in my day, um, Star Wars toys would have a whole shelf, like a whole row of toys at Kmart, which is a very old fashioned sentence. Um, but now they get a very sliver of small amount of toys. But I think that's mainly because kids don't play with toy toys as much. Either that or Disney's really dropped right. the ball with um, merchandising. But I remember both with Phantom Menace and Attack of Clones just being enamored with the merchandising. And I have so much Phantom Menace and Attack of Clones gear. But I remember it was on everything like Go-Gurts, um, lunch bo- not lunch boxes, pizza boxes for like Pizza Hut or whatever. Uh, Everything else, so much merchandising. One of my earliest ones was the movie theater that we used to go to all the time. I think it was called, I know for a fact it was Regal because I remember the opening video so well where you go like a roller coaster or whatever. I, I hated the day that they updated it to be what it is now. I don't like the current one nearly as much as the popcorn roller coaster. Um, it's like Regal Promenade or something. But I remember when he first walked in, there was the big banner um, one side it had Padme and then the other side it had Anakin they're facing each other and it just said love leads to hate hate leads to suffering attack mm-hmm. of the clones and it was a big banner that was there for almost like a year um, it also had really vivid memories that they had a poster for around the same time this is around the same time that facing posters were really really big because uh, a year from then you'd have Freddy versus Jason who their faces also faced each other in the poster. My memory is so vivid around this time that I remember a lot of stuff. Also, uh, this is going to sound super specific, but I remember the theater was on the left-hand side that we saw Attack of the Clones in because as soon as you got out for Attack of the Clones, there was a poster for Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Okay, you have a much better memory than I do of all of this. I... um. And that I'm not, I can't get that specific, but I remember. Well, I first off, I remember all. The, I I I'm. It's hard. I I lament this fact, but the Lego sets, in particular. Oh man, the Lego I sets have gone associate. so downhill since then. Well, I don't know if they've gone downhill as they've much as the fact they've gotten they've gone up in price um, exponentially. Um, Okay, the, I'll, yeah, the, I'll, I'll the, amend my statement. They haven't gone down in quality, but we're missing a lot of the great things with the prequels is they had a lot of uh, different sized Legos. So if you wanted small Legos, you can get them. If you wanted mid-size, like a $20 or $30 set. Now it's either you get one or two options for like 10 bucks, or you can spend 100 bucks. There's not like mid-level Legos. Right. That's, that's part of it is that you're either spending... No, twenty nine ninety nine uh, for maybe a two hundred brick set, or you're spending a hundred dollars for like an X wing or eighty dollars. Like Luke's X wing, the first X wing, or excuse me, the first Lego I ever got was Luke's X wing from the the night it was the two thousand two thousand one brick set, um, where you have the little worker and his little uh, cart, and it's you get an extra protocol droid and Biggs Dark Lighter. You get uh, like as a, like a replacement for Luke. And that was my first set. And I remember that so vividly, my mom showing me how to put that together. Um, I had that before I watched the Phantom Menace before I knew the Phantom Menace existed because, uh, I was all just engrossed with just the, with the original trilogy and, and the Legos. So the Phantom, so my friend, you know, when I went over to watch the Phantom Menace, he had these different Lego sets I had never seen. I recognized them as star Wars, 
uh, but I didn't know what these were from, so we watched the movie. And then, obviously, so that led to a lot of anticipation. I saw um, the Attack of the Clones in theaters. The, for the life of me, though, I can't remember. Um, I cannot remember that particular theater moment. It's unfortunate because I remember seeing Agent Cody Banks in theaters. I don't remember seeing Attack of the Clones theaters. Wow. But I know that I did. That's a disappointment yeah, please don't. right there. It, it is a massive disappointment. But I, I will tell you this, I, um, that afterwards, my all my friends could talk about was the Yoda sequence. And I, I wasn't really, as a little second grader, I wasn't blown away by seeing Yoda fight. I was kind of like, well, that kind of makes sense. He's a, he was a Jedi Master. But I was just fresh off seeing, like basically memorizing the, the original trilogy. So I was like, eh, it's not a big deal. So you talked about Legos, and that just brought memories flushing back of, uh, I remember Christmas, I got the Gungan Utabungo, the underwater ship, and my it was such a big set that my uncle had to help me build it. Um, and then years later, I would get the Cloud City set. So I have a long history oh, with Star yeah. Wars Legos. That's like my biggest oh, set I that I ever got it. was the Cloud City one, and it's awesome. Um, and then Tackle Clones came out. I remember seeing it, I saw it a couple times because... Every Star Wars movie I've seen at least twice in theaters. I remember seeing it with my cousins, and then we we uh, went immediately back to their house, and we were playing in the playroom, and uh, we did the back-to-back Obi-Wan, Mace Windu thing, because I, of course, had to be Obi-Wan. That made him Mace Windu. And, like, I had... Because they showed that shot in the trailer so much that I just, like, had memorized the moves. I had known I was Obi-Wan for all intents and purposes. Also, quick flashback to Phantom Menace. When that movie came out, I was Obi-Wan in the kindergarten Halloween parade and we had to cut the ponytail in half because the Obi-Wan ponytail was too long for me because it was clearly meant for an adult, but I needed to go all out and have the ponytail. And I still have that ponytail to this day. It's not actual hair as I see someone thinking it's actual hair. Um, that would be, I was going to say, thank you for clarifying that. Um, then flash forward three more years to, Revenge of the Sith. Um, now, at this time, uh, yeah, we had moved. Uh, wait, no, I don't know if we'd moved to Colorado yet. We moved in. Yeah, we had moved to Colorado because we moved to Colorado in 2004 and this was 2005. Because I distinctly remember I was just like, yeah, I'm going to see Star Wars. And then I got really nervous when the rating came out, because this was the first Star Wars movie that was PG-13, and I had never seen a PG-13 oh, yes. movie before, so I'm just going, I'm going to see this, right? Right? So I remember the night before the movie came out, Dad going in and reading a plugged-in online review for it to see oh, if this is a yes. movie that I would be allowed to see, and I knew this movie would get dark because it was PG-13, so I'm just sitting there through that opening scene when they're rescuing the chancellor just going hey this is fun and lighthearted for now when is it gonna turn <laughs> bad because i know bad things are gonna happen oh, <laughs> he did some decapitating dooku oh oh, the de- <laughs> oh that's funny but yeah like oh, the movie starts gosh. off with funny r2d2 scenes of like shocking buzz droids or setting Super battle droids on fire, and then not even two minutes later, like you said, decapitation, and then people getting shot and dying rapidly. I'm just going, okay, this is why it's PG-13. Okay, and and considering also the whole "I hate you" uh, moment at, at Mustafar, like you actually do seeing him 
I mean, you're seeing a guy burned alive. It's not the most kid-friendly moment. Um, it, that, it, it adds weight to the scene when you see him just, you know, his flesh starting to melt off his body. Yeah. What What are your earliest memories with Revenge of the Sith? Uh, I particularly... So here's the thing. It was Grandparents' Day at Jackson Christian Elementary. That's where I hail from. That was my elementary school for those who want to creep on me. Um so obviously this was May. I didn't get a chance to see it. And because it was Grandparents Day, I was upset because I wasn't going to be able to go that night because I was hanging out with both sets of my grandparents. And with that, I one of the entertainers for that day, I caught up with him and he was talking about Revenge of the Sith and how he, he liked it. And, he, and I asked him specifically about the rating because I had never seen him. I was, I was a fifth grader, so I was, you know, what... 11 years old and it was just to turned 11 and and I had not seen a PG-13 film and I didn't know if my parents were going to allow me to see it and and he said yeah it's definitely it earned its rating and and he specifically said he goes there's a moment in the film that just makes your jaw drop and I remember the expression on his face still to this day like his he was like oh, oh my gosh I can't believe it now he was referring to um, Master Skywalker, what are we going to do? Uh, that scene reignites his lightsaber, and the kid just gives like a subtle step back, like of like what? And it's heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking, and incred- it's incredibly dark moment in the Star Wars universe. Uh, but um, that was that's like the biggest thing. And I remember seeing it in theaters, and I remember being blown away at my local theater. We saw it on the biggest screen possible for the time, I guess back in mid two thousands. Not saying much, but the shot where you have the Venator class Star Destroyer and you have Anakin Obi Wan flying, and it's the it's the the drums. Uh, that's how that the sequence opens with with the music, and then they just they the shot peers down and it's just chaos. And I particularly remember, I've never felt this way. Well, until I saw Avatar in three D. I felt like I was falling into the screen, like the the way it was like shot, the cinematography there, and the effects. It, I honestly had to catch myself, and I remember seeing it the second time. I felt the same way because it's one of the first films I ever saw twice in a theater. So uh, I have fond memories of, of Revenge. I listen. I, I'm partial to the prequels. They do an amazing job with world building. A lot of that's helped out by the merchandise, with specifically Legos. I was a Lego freak, like most of the people our age. But I, I love. I love. I still love the prequels. I acknowledge their weaknesses, but I still love them because of it made the universe feel lived in and just massive. Oh my gosh, massive! It was imagination to to the to the nth degree and but I was the target audience obviously I was the target audience and I am partial I am biased I'm what have you and I'm still going to be that way cuz George did his job yes George is a great storyteller but a terrible scriptwriter and a terrible director yes amen amen to that yes his and point a to point c is a pretty good <laughs> idea on paper for the Star yes. Wars prequels it's just that and I'm rereading my one of my favorite Star Wars books, How Star Wars Conquered the Universe, which, shameless plug, check it out. It's a fantastic book. Um, but even before Star Wars, back when he was working on uh, THX 1138, George Lucas is kind of a cold director. Not like a jerk or anything, but he doesn't know how to direct actors. And that was very apparent in the prequels. Absolutely. Um, 
So you have like veteran actors like Liam Neeson and Obi Wan and. Obi-Wan. I just think Ewan McGregor and Obi-Wan are just synonymous. They're the same person to me. Uh, you have veteran actors like Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor who can probably self-act, but then you have other up-and-coming actors like Natalie Portman who had been in Leon the Professional going into it, but also she was very wooden in Phantom Menace because she just didn't have that experience. Or Hayden Christensen, not that much experience and had to rely on George, who is not great at directing people. Who's, he said on record that he just prefer to not interact with actors if he could. Um... But as a whole, what he initially pitched was a good idea. And he's a phenomenal producer. If you told me George Lucas was replacing Kathleen Kennedy at Lucasfilm, not as creative, but as a producer, I think that's a good idea. We'd get better merchandise. Um, Mm -hmm. But our meat of our discussion, I'm sure, will be discussing these movies. So, Michael, Phantom Menace, arguably the most divisive of the three of these movies, you either... Really like it, but there's a lot of people that really hate it. What are your general thoughts and impressions of just the movie, everything about Phantom Menace? Yeah, so my, my good friend, who you know well, uh, know somewhat well, uh, Stefan Bell, who uh, closest friend here. We did our own podcast for a little bit. Shameless plug for that. It doesn't exist anymore. But we actually just did a commentary just, just for the kicks of it back here in August. And... Um, Watching that for the first time all the way through in, in a few years, the the movie, again, trying to look, think about it from, from a fan seeing it for the first time, it's so different. Uh, it, it's so different in so many ways. Yes, a lot of the qualities are inferior, but again, I, I think it's the fact that Star Wars fan had a lot of headcanon. And George, you know, he clearly had built this universe. What rights do we have to fill in what we think is right. It's his, it's his sandbox. You know, we, we not saying we can't have better ideas or more thought out ideas, but it's still him. Like the fact that we have the ability to critique it in the first place is because we have content to critique. He is responsible for creating that content. And, and so with that in mind, I, I think the movie's fine. I, I, I don't, it's, it's not, it's, I, I objectively, it's not a, fantastic movie but i don't think it's garbage I, I i for anyone i mean it's competently made as far as cinematography yes the script is not very good um however it's you know like um red letter media there's not really a the fact is you don't really have a protoganist is what they call protoganist um, i i get that yes that that's that's a flaw in storytelling for sure but there it moves it along this was a clear take on more star wars politics it's not done in the most exciting way uh but i, I don't think the movie's terrible I, I for me it's i i think it's the weakest as far as like a plot goes i think it's the weakest because of just how convenient everything is um but i you know i'd watch it i'd put it on and, and watch it it's not i would never go out of my way not to watch it uh, so th- that that's just just my quick summary um yeah, I'm. I have mixed feelings about this one. I was so hyped when it first came out, and I still have a strong love and memory with it. Um, but it's not a good movie by any stretch. Uh, but to me, it's the biggest up and down of the prequels. Of like, the one we'll talk about next, I think is like consistently awful. And Revenge of the Sith like starts off great and then takes a nosedive. This one has peaks and valleys. Of when it hits, it really hits, but then it like fluctuates. Of really, really good. 
What the heck was that? Really, really good. That was <laughs> awful. That was a great finale. What is that? Um, just like yeah. all across the board, there's so many good things on paper that are not executed well. Uh, but still to this day in 2019, oh God, this movie turns 20 this year. Um, yeah. That, I'm not okay with that. Um, but even 20 years later, there's some parts of this movie that still at least visually look really good. The effects still hold up. Say what you will about Jar Jar as one of the most annoying characters in movie history. He was groundbreaking visually at the time. You got to think this is two years before Lord of the Rings did Gollum. Um, technically three because Gollum doesn't show up until Two Towers. Um, but Jar Jar for 1999 actually looks really, really good. And there's a lot of yes. good visual effects. Now, I'm going to surprise some people here. There's a scene that um, I actually don't mind now and actually quite enjoy that I think was targeted at kids that I actually hated as a kid, but I actually enjoy now. The pod race scene. I hated the pod race scene as a kid because I thought it went on way too long. I thought that could have been so much shorter. Now I watch it. I think it's a really, really well done scene. I think it's shot well. It's paced really well and it's clear action maybe it's just because i didn't grow up watching racing i had a racing face i've been to both uh indianapolis and daytona but uh and i know that is gonna make michael green with envy but um i I didn't really like the pod racing scenes now i really enjoy them but one thing i won't say it yet i'll save it for my favorite moments but there's one moment that i it was my end game moment as a kid. And it's still to this day is one of my favorite movie scenes ever. And it's, it's just masterful. Too bad it's bogged down with like three other scenes that are happening at the same time. But, um, Phantom Menace to me is like the most ups and downs. You've got great performances from Liam Neeson and Hugh McGregor, but then you've got some questionable performances from like Natalie Portman. It's just really all over the place. So there's a lot of good, but there's a lot of, bad it's just a matter of how much of it will take you out of the story uh now fast forwarding to attack of the clones this movie gets so much worse over the years i watched this like last weekend at work and it's so much worse than i remember like i remember it being my least favorite of the prequels as a kid now i watch it it's a bad movie like straight up yeah, um, you know, I, I am I'm not going to shock you. Well, I'm going to probably shock you. This is my favorite of the prequels. What? Um, it, 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 yeah, it is. It's not, it's not my, uh, uh, listen, listen. Okay. Are you okay? I, 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 I seek, this is my guilty pleasure Star Wars film, uh, particularly because uh, a lot of the merchandise that's behind it, there's so many cool elements. They did have some great movie. merchandising. I had the flipping Count Dooku toy. Yes. Uh, for me, it was the Republic gunship. They, that when, when you see the clones using those little bubbles with the green lasers, just wrecking the droids in the arena. Uh, it's amazing. Um, this is, this is the beginning of the clone wars. Um, and which is a rich history, uh, between episodes two and three with a lot of the, um, you know, you, you had the 2003 animated stylistic, um, Clone Wars, Star Wars, which Clone I still Wars, think is better the than Wars. the other animated Clone Wars. Yeah. It's, it's unreal. Uh, and by the way, the last 
episode of that is incredibly violent and very visceral. Is that the one with General Grievous best... getting Chancellor Palpatine? Yes. No, yeah, it's it's when he just, when he kills the three Jedi and yeah, he kills Just left. Yeah, it's it's unreal. Um, well, Shakti dies in a deleted scene. Yes, but didn't she Sith. die in the series? Like she's died a couple times. No. I don't. I don't think so. I, I think he kills like three Jedi that are with Kitty and Mundi, and like he literally grabs a Jedi and by shoves the face him into the just, ground. Yeah, in the it's like oh, okay. See, I love um, the but, uh, Anakin and Asajj Ventress fight. Oh yeah, that was better much. character no, development I, for Anakin than anything in the prequels. It, it is. It's a fantastic series. Um, but we get that. A, a Star Wars Clone Wars video game was amazing. It did a lot. Oh, my gosh. Was was that a fantastic video game? Uh, it it star, spawned Star Wars Jedi Starfighter, which was really cool. Um, it spawned a lot of other things. But I just want to say in the movie, it exposes you to the streets of Coruscant like we hadn't seen previously um it exposes you to different parts of that planet which are really cool i think the the chase is pretty entertaining in the beginning of the film um it's it's the only star wars film that pans up from the crawls that are panning down that's not really that's really inside baseball type of you know stuff that doesn't really matter but it's still interesting um you have the the fact that uh padme can actually pilot her own ship i think there's a small thing now the fact that she, you know, as landing and it's her decoy that gets killed, um, you know, what have you. I guess that's a lot of luck. But the idea of Jango Fett, Bounty Hunter, the whole asteroid scene with the seismic charges, the sound effects alone there. The idea oh, of God. a clone yes. army. I will the, give you that. The, the sound design for yeah. the seismic charges are one of my favorite things. Yeah. yeah. I, the, I mean, the clone army, the fact that this Jedi Master ordered this. Um, and, yeah, I think there's going to be still more to be revealed about all of that in, in future, future Star Wars canon. Um, and you know, I, I like the fact that Anakin gets the crap beat out of him by, by Count Dooku. I like that he gets humbled. He gets punished for his arrogance and, and his, his anger does completely blind him. I like that you see that. I think the, the battle, even that these, these clone troopers are fully CGI. Some of the shots don't hold up. Some of them do, but I, I love the, the arena battle, uh, very Romanesque, uh, gladiator esque, um, and I really do enjoy the battle in the desert uh, afterwards. I, I it feels like Star Wars. It feels like we're we're getting such a unique. It's a unique conflict. And small thing, the the uh, separatist capital ships. I didn't realize, but it's a small thing. You blink and you miss it. Are the actual center of the droid control ships that you see in the, in the first episode, which I thought was a pretty nice reveal. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But there's all the other stuff that's awful about the film. The dialogue. I mean, Creeper, Anakin, Sand. Yeah, it's it's awful. Like, I get it. it it's, it's terrible. Some of the CGI does not hold up for whatever reason. But I, it's my guilty pleasure, Nate. It's my favorite one. I'm I will sorry. say, Attack the Clones houses one of two movie scenes that I physically cannot wa- make myself watch because of how angry <laughs> it makes me. We have, <laughs> I didn't just kill the men, but the women oh, and the children. No. I slaughtered them like animals. I despise that scene. The other scene, just for a fun fact, is the dancing scene from Spider-Man 3. I physically cannot make myself oh. watch it because I will oh, explode it's... my brain. 
it, it is it oh it makes you squirm doesn't it oh it's my god so bad also um re-watching it as an adult i don't think i realized as a kid how creepy anakin is and not in like a you're gonna be a great villain someday but no like he's straight up pervy on padme yeah like he's unsettlingly no, creepy like that's not okay man Sure thing, I'm pretty sure lady. he just Jedi uh, mind tricked her into loving him. You could, I don't know how you, yeah. Uh, it's because she's a politician, so she's a weak minded. Yeah, it, it's it's one of the it's, it's funny. That's what it's one of the worst romances, if you can even call it that, in in film. I the I truly I, w- I won't say who because you, you might scene. know this person, but we had a friend in college that Attack of the Clones was their favorite Star Wars movie. Period because of the romance. Uh, oh, are you telling me that uh, Luke and Leia and the brother brother sister Shakespearean uh, dialogue and happenings didn't do it for him? We're moving on to <laughs> Revenge of the Sith now. Okay. <laughs> um, I think Revenge of the Sith has the best twenty minutes, uh, best opening twenty minutes of any Star Wars movie, and then it goes downhill after that. Like, oh, when Anakin oh. and Obi Wan, um, are on that rescue mission, there's good chemistry between Anakin and Obi Wan. They're trying to make up for the fact that they had like no chemistry or brotherly love in Attack the Clones. So they're just like, quick, give them chemistry and years of relationship and. 20 minutes uh the fact the way that they work off each other there's great storytelling with both characters it was exciting it was fun it was war but it was still great it was awesome great way to start it and then everything goes downhill after that um but it's i watched it this past weekend and it is it's the one movie of the prequels that i went back and watched and it was better than i remember maybe it's because i when I saw it in theaters, it was not my favorite. I just thought it was kind of okay. As a kid, Phantom Menace was my favorite. But this is one that as I've gotten older, it has definitely gotten better. It's still not a great movie, but it's it's leaps and bounds better than Attack of the Clones. And it's definitely more... It's Of all the prequels, this is the most narratively cohesive. And I get what George is going for. Also, I may be reading too much into this and knowing me, I totally am, but rewatching the final fight between Obi-Wan and Anakin, um, right before Obi-Wan jumps to do the, I have the high ground moment. Um, the way that the camera shot and, um, Obi-Wan like readies himself into position is actually almost like shot for shot. Exactly the same as when he looks at Darth Maul right before Darth Maul kills Qui-Gon. So I'm like, is that intentional? Of He fought a Sith Lord before, and now he, his Padawan is a Sith Lord? Or was that just great coincidental cinematography? I'm choosing to give George I, the benefit really, of the doubt that it was point. a cool I, accident. I've never... I've never paid attention to it. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that now and, and kind of look for like that. Like the way he readies uh, himself I, I know, I know and the way what the you're camera is actually about. positioned that he's kind of um, to in the uh, right third of the shot is almost exactly like how it is in Phantom Menace, but maybe I'm just reading too much into it. Um, hmm. Yeah, Revenge of the Sith has gotten better with time. It's still not great, though. Uh, I remember growing up, something my dad always talked about, and he, he and I will still talk about it every once in a while, and it's completely true. He still to this day does not buy Anakin's turn of how quickly he turns. He literally turns yeah. within five minutes. Yeah, I 
that's that's the one thing is that really this whole saga of one through nine is really the 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 beginning it's like basically the life and the downfall and the legacy like life downfall redemption and legacy of anakin skywalker that's that is what the entire episode like one through nine episodes are that's really legacy being obviously his children and grand you know grandchildren um and that's where i if if you made obi-wan you don't even have qui-gon jinn but if you made obi-wan the main character in episode one and and you have him and there's this purpose there's this prophecy there like it's foretold that there's going to be balance like the jedi mentioned it it's not like they're you would be inventing it but the fact that he to maybe prove to maybe well, you can still have qui-gon be his master but to prove to his master that this boy is the prof is the is going to be the uh fulfillment of this prophecy go find him and that's how you prove um yourself worthy this is your jedi trial so to speak and you spend time with him and anakin in that film and you make anakin older um and it's so basically you could have a plot point tension of the fact that he's too old huh too old to begin training where have we heard that before you can you can you know that is a that's a plot point that's a thread that you can unite the sequel trilogy or excuse me not the sequel trilogy the 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 original trilogy and the prequels together that's where there's some heritage there um and then make episode two more so about the struggle of particular the feelings the purging of of feelings and emotion which blinds you versus you know the sixth way of you know actually embracing it um you really could have compared and contrast that and then episode three be the entire struggle of the downfall, not the last 30 minutes of the film be the struggle of the downfall, but the entire film dedicated to, I think would be the better narrative structure. So I agree with your dad because it's almost as if the movie forgets that, Hey, this guy needs to be Darth Vader by the end of this film, which is in 45 minutes. Let's make him Darth Vader now. Um, Love certainly could have been – you can use love as a big motivating factor for a lot of things and they could have sold it as to how far he's willing to go to save Padme because of how much he loves her um, and he's willing to sell his soul to do it. Really could have done that but it's not It's not done well from the very beginning and I, I think – because you have him at such a young age, like they, you know, he's basically what eight years old and seventeen years old now, in his twenties almost basically, and it's like, like you can't if you're telling that story, it's it's just not done well enough, and I I agree with your dad. So did you ever see the belated media? Uh, what if episode one, episode two, and episode three were good? Uh, no, I'll send them to you after this. They're very interesting, like revisionist history of. What if these movies were good? And this is like my how episode eight and episode nine episodes that I did on the podcast years ago, not podcast, the main YouTube channel are basically just that except with episodes eight and nine before the movies came out. Uh, I think you'd really like them. They more or less just this is what the prequel stories should have been and how they could have been constructed. They're very fascinating. Um, But as much as we bag on these movies, there are some highlights. So before we talk about our favorite moments. I want to go through each of the three movies and talk about who we would give the MVP award of, like, this movie may be bad, but this is the best thing about it. I'll start with Phantom Menace. I remember growing up, I loved Obi-Wan, but rewatching as an adult, Obi-Wan, I won't give the MVP to. Um, 
just because he doesn't get a whole lot of screen time, he really gets the shaft in Phantom Menace of not getting a lot to do. I will, however, give the MVP to Liam Neeson's Qui-Gon Jinn. He is, like, the only good, likable, and actually, like, relatable character in the whole movie of, yes, Obi-Wan should have been your main protagonist for Phantom Menace. You, and Qui-Gon is more or less your Alec Guinness Obi-Wan character. Um, he's just the only one that, as I watched it as an adult, I was like, you know what? You make sense. And when you have compassion for people, I actually buy those emotions. You seem genuine. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I have to agree with you. I, I want to say Obi-Wan, but he's a little bit of a whiner in the film. Uh, Qui-Gon is his stoicism. Um, really, he does involve. He does embody what it means to be a Jedi. I think he's actually one of the one of the best portrayals of a Jedi on film because of how steady he is. He's so devoted to the way. Uh, you think you mentioned Phantom Menace and, and Obi Wan? Yeah, that's funny. Hey, here it is. Uh, the the fact that he's willing to meditate and uh, at the end fight uh, with Maul that you know he's willing to you know shut off his lightsaber, sit down and kneel and meditate. Um, really. I think it's a subtle way of showing how devoted he is. And you see did the two different philosophies of just calm serenity and just absolute anger, anger and rage, uh, in mall. Uh, and so seeing those two different styles contrast, I think it was important. So couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, Liam Neeson did a fantastic job. Uh, he doesn't take crap from anyone. He's there to get his job done and, but he's not willing to go against the Jedi code or his training in order to get his job done. That that's, what's important. I, Josh and I've talked about it before. I really would like to see Liam Neeson come back for the Obi-Wan series on Disney plus. Cause they hint at it in Revenge of the Sith. I would like him to come back as a oh, yes. ghost to help finish Obi-Wan's training. That would be fantastic. I'm down for it. Absolutely. Um, so as much as I bag on Attack of the Clones, um, my MVP, I didn't give it to him in the first one, but I'll give Obi-Wan the MVP in Attack of the Clones just because um, way too much of this movie is this stupid love story. But as overly complicated as it is, Obi-Wan's whole like mystery, get to the bottom of who's trying to assassinate Padme, his whole story is actually the real compelling part of the story when he has to track down Jango Fett, which... I'm not even going to poke holes in the logic of why does a, a Sith Lord hire a bounty hunter who in turn hires a bounty hunter to kill somebody. But Obi-Wan's story is the only wrong. one that's actually interesting and compelling. And this is really, I think, where Ewan McGregor really came into his own in the role. And um, he just cemented it as this is my role. No one's taking it from me. And I'm going to be the best thing about this movie. Yeah, my, my I'm gonna cheat here. I'm gonna actually give it to just the Jedi Order that shows up to fight. Um, seeing that arena battle of all the Jedi come, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of them get killed by battle droids, which is really sad because they really shouldn't. But I give that to them that they're willing to actually come and rescue and actually do something. Uh, a lot of times, Jedi Council, uh, at least in canon, and a lot of other portrayals in our former kind of portrayed as pacifists those who are very stubborn and unwilling to move uh this would set this will segue into my mvp for episode three but i really enjoyed um the jedi order actually coming and fighting alongside and saving their fellow jedi knights and padwan so what is who's your mvp for revenge of the sith 
Uh, that would be Mace Windu. I love Samuel Jackson in this in this role. Um, it he's he's dismissive. He's very skeptical in the first two films. But when Anakin confronts Palpatine and he finds out that he is the Sith Lord they've been searching for, he presents this to Mace Windu. In a lot of films, it's either presented in the A plot, um, not usually in the B plot, but it, usually the protagonist is just dismissed entirely. And I get that uh, just to add story tension, but Mace takes it seriously and is willing to show up with uh, other fellow Jedi not masters. Enough Jedi. And he, yeah, yes. And he is willing to confront him. Uh, and and take him on and and if it wasn't for Anakin being completely stupid, uh, would have uh, vanquished uh, Palpatine right then and there. And the fact that you basically see how powerful Mace Windu is, um, I I always loved his character not just because he has a purple lightsaber, um, but I've I've always liked he's he's more mysterious. He and the fact I thought he was always portrayed well and seeing him fight in the arena in Episode Two was pretty cool. I mean he just defeats. Jango Fett, and then it seems to be kind of sad that he had to do it. I thought that was such an interesting touch, and um, seeing him unfortunately meet his end uh, at the hands of, of Anakin and Palpatine was very sad uh, because he is one of my favorite characters. But I give the MVP for Vengeance to him. Uh, my MVP is twofold. Um, one part of it is the music that John Williams did. I think. His music for the prequels, he takes to a whole new ball game of like people that don't even like the prequels are like, yeah, Duel of the Fates is pretty dope. Um, but I feel like um, in all of them, they have good music. Revenge of the Sith, the music really carries the movie in a lot of the scenes of like the music is working extra hard to try and help the narrative, working way harder than it has to. Um, I liked uh, how when Anakin and Obi-Wan are fighting, they bring back Duel of the Fates for a little bit, which makes me kind of really excited to hear it come back for Rise of Skywalker. I will lose my mind because that's my favorite Star Wars music besides uh, Binary Sunset. Uh, I love the use of music. like it, Everything about it just really hit, and I'll talk about it in my favorite scene that relies very heavily on the music. Uh, but my real MVP, my co-MVP with the music, is the exact opposite to your Mace Windu, Sheev Palpatine. Uh, this was his movie to shine. Uh, Ian McDermott was always great in Return of the Jedi, but he was one of the few constants that was consistently good in the prequels of, like, the scheming bad guy. But he really came into his own, his hammy glory in Revenge of the Sith. He's so overacting, but it's intentional. Like, he knows what kind of movie he's in, and he's having fun with it of, like, oh, yeah, I'm that kind of bad guy now. He's just hamming it up, having such a fun time with it that you're like, yeah, you're evil, but you're at least super entertaining. In a movie that can be kind of bland at times, he's at least having the time of his life in the movie. Yeah, very much so. I, yeah, that's that's such a – I mean, really he is – I mean, he is with Rise of Skywalker coming the – person behind the scenes again the entire time yeah i mean the story is about anakin but one could be said that there's always been those rumors that like well who planted the seed if you will um for shmi to have this this virgin birth like was this something what was this palpatine all along and i think rise of skywalker will only help lend to that theory as far as he's always he's the one that's always been there he's he's been before and he is after the alpha and the omega if you will of this entire saga so yeah i mean 
the fact that I, I didn't really think of him, I, I'm rather ashamed to admit that because he's the you know antagonist. But you're right; it's it's absolutely through and through his story. Well, that's our MVPs. Uh, then we'll go with saying our favorite moments from each one. To me, I've said it earlier; I hinted at it at least. Of Phantom Menace, right off the bat, had my end game moment of I've cheered super super loud in end game for like the last half an hour from like Cap lifting the shield to assemble. But to me, if there was one scene that I say shaped my childhood love of Star Wars, it was first shown in the trailer with Darth Maul being super cool and igniting not one lightsaber, but a double-bladed lightsaber. My favorite scene from Phantom Menace will always be one of my favorite scenes in just movie history. Duel of the Fates. That is perfection. It is so good of escalated lightsaber fights to a whole new level of before then they couldn't really do too much with it just because of the effects now not only did you have the effects for it you got professional stunt guys that could do work like ray park is one of the best stuntmen out there in terms of just what he can do and what he can bring physicality wise in roles he was great as darth maul and he worked with the cast and crew along with their stunt coordinator um to do one of the best lightsaber fights. Now, if you can get the emotion from Return of the Jedi's fight with Luke and Vader and put that in to the fighting that happened between Maul, Kenobi, and Obi-Wan, I think that's the recipe for a perfect lightsaber fight. If you can get raw emotion, which is what was missing in Duel of Fates, mixed with the choreography, because, yes, later movies like Revenge of the Sith would get a little too flippy. I don't think Phantom Menace went overboard with its flippiness yet. Plus, we had never seen a two-on-one fight, a Sith single-handedly taking on two Jedi. It was clear. It was concise. I remember seeing uh, for weeks and weeks in the trailer that fantastic moment in the generator room of Maul versus Obi-Wan versus Qui-Gon and that like, rapid zoom-in on all of them and without verbally saying anything, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan working together to force-push Maul onto the walkway. Just a teamwork there. Uh, and doesn't help that doesn't hurt that duel of the fates is like amazing music for that scene oh yeah. it's so good it, it, um yes <laughs> would that scene have been better had there not also been three completely pointless battles not also happening at the exact same time <laughs> yes if this was the only fight happening that probably would have been better but um i'm not gonna complain about one of my favorite star wars scenes ever yeah it's just still gives me goosebumps to this day it's just a recipe for perfectness. Also, if you get the time, look up there's a great edit of the Phantom Menace fight, but every time the lightsabers connect, it's not a lightsaber noise, it's Owen Wilson saying, wow. <laughs> wow. Um, mine for, for fan, wow, this is going to be really stupid because you just set up something very epic and this is going to be really stupid, but mine's the, there's always a bigger fish. Really? Um, uh, I, I, I know. I love the aquatic scene of seeing all the different uh, different fish and how big everything is because for the most part, every Star Wars film has that creature moment of like you're in Star Wars because that is something that is completely alien. And, and so like that's that moment for me. Um, seeing all of those uh, aquatic fish, uh, one eating one another, or you're just running away, and so yeah, there's always a bigger fish. Like I, I love that. There's, to me, there's only you're right. There is always at least one Star Wars. There's always at least one scene in every Star Wars movie that there's a creature. Uh, 
most of the time it works. There's two times that I think it doesn't. The creature in Rogue One, the in Truth Interrogation oh. Squid, that was Bork all it. That was the oh weirdest thing. But also, um, this might be a controversial opinion. I don't know. I hated the Wrath Tars in Force Awakens. I thought they did not fit yeah. at all. That's that's not uh, that's that's not a controversial. I thing. hate it those was, things. Uh, Harry they don't Potter. feel like Star it seemed Wars. like it blended Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Let's not bring that an abomination of a movie into this. <laughs> okay, you alluded to it earlier. My favorite moment from Attack of the Clones that again, like Duel of the Fates, um, as a kid, I didn't care about character development or story. I cared about shiny lightsabers and fighting. So my favorite moment from Attack of the Clones is. For the first time, not seeing a Jedi or two in battle, but hundreds of lightsabers all at once. And I still, I don't think we're going to get it from Rise of Skywalker, but I would someday like to see that cutscene that I saw in Knights of the Old Republic where hundreds of Jedi fight height, hundreds of Sith at the same time. I think that would be great. Um, and just seeing a whole bunch of warriors run into battle is great. Yeah, we eventually again. Yeah, Knights of the Republic, or I mean, I mean, my goodness. Here's a problem. Like, if you you've seen the for, I mean, for the the MMO RPG, the 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 cinematic trailers for for the Old Republic. I mean, when the when you can have a cinematic trailer that has better choreography and cinematography than some of the stuff in the films, something's awry, in my opinion. But yes, 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 yes. I I I am I'm almost there with you. I almost agree. For me, I, I mentioned it earlier, though. The seismic charges scene was like one of those Star Wars goosebump moments because the sound design, like, you've never seen anything like that. Something that destructive and, like, how is Obi-Wan going to make it through this? That when, like, I, when I, every time I see that film, I, if I'm with a group of people, I'm like, guys, all right, be quiet, be quiet. This is the coolest part of the movie. So. Now that brings us to Revenge of the Sith. What What's your favorite Revenge of the Sith moment? Because mine might surprise you. Um, so my Revenge of the Sith, oh gosh, it's, it's much harder, but again, I have to say that opening sequence, uh, that shot it's particularly, again, that shot once when, in the beginning of the movie, when the camera pans over and around that Venator Star Destroyer and it's just battle, um, that was again it made me feel like i was falling out of my seat and i've i've rarely felt that way even in imax films where it feels like you're floating um i i have i have very rarely ever felt like that in a movie before like just like i can i have not been transported fully into this film and i gotta catch the seat in front of me um that that was that was what the highlight of that because I never seen the effects, uh, the, the scope and the scale. I never, we've never seen a. I mean, the Return of the Jedi space battle was was big, but there was never like a shot where you felt that immersed because there's just nothing but chaos. And you're like, how do these Jedi fight? And it's like, well, the Force is going to guide them through all of this. And, and so I, that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, this is chaotic. This is what war is. How in the world does this, do people make any sense of this? So You're right. It uh, was that, chaotic. My and MVP that level in Lego Star Wars was an absolute nightmare. Oh, <laughs> oh, gosh. I love it. The only way I was able to beat that was eventually just grinding on every level previously until I got invincibility. Because you get shot out of oh, nowhere right. and you, you couldn't could do any it. shields yeah. or anything. Stupid level. Um, 
So my scene may actually surprise you because it's not one that often gets talked about in Revenge of the Sith, and I feel like it deserves a lot more credit. And I'll say, I didn't give it credit as a kid. In fact, I hated this scene as a kid, but now it is my favorite scene of Revenge of the Sith. And this will tip you off if you hadn't guessed it already. It is a scene with zero dialogue. It is the scene where Anakin is questioning the decision that he just made to report Palpatine to Windu. So he is sitting all alone in um, the Jedi Council room, looking off um, to the city of Coruscant, looking out the window. And he walks up to the window, oh, and yeah. Padme is looking out at the Jedi Temple. And they kind of have this moment where nothing is said, and the music, John Williams' music, is just perfect. And Hayden Christensen's acting, for most of the prequels, is pretty bad. But in that moment... You get the pain, the anguish, the sadness. Everything comes swelling in just from his facial expressions because he doesn't have to speak. That's his weakness is when he has to speak. Um, he doesn't have to speak. There's no dialogue at all. It's just raw emotion. You feel the music. You feel the emotion of both of them. Screen direction is perfect of them looking at each other but not. And Anakin's wondering if he did the right thing, ratting out the one person that might yeah. be able to save his wife. And I think it's really, really powerful. It's a great character moment, something we don't get a lot of great character moments in the prequels, but I like good character moments in movies. We'll talk about that next week when I talk about my favorite moment from Return of the Jedi. Um, but this was this is my favorite moment. It's not the one that gets talked about a lot, but I think it's incredibly well acted, well staged, and the music is just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It is a powerful moment. Um, the score adds a lot. I mean, John Williams, I mean, we don't really can't say enough about what he has done and will and has and will continue to do here, at least when it comes to episode nine. So I hey, I, I get it. I, I think yours definitely is a more artistic and style moment. And for me it's just that was more of a personal connection of, of how I felt seeing it in theaters as a kid. Oh yeah, definitely. So to wrap things up. Let's give a quick ranking of how we rank these prequel movies from worst to best. Michael, how would you rank these three movies? Uh, so worst to best, episode one, three, and two. Uh, two is my favorite out of all of them. If I was being objective, it's it's three or it's one, two, and th- or two, one, and three as far as quality. But personally, for me and rewatching them, that's what counts here. Yeah, it's uh, I, I go uh, Phantom Menace, Revenge of the Sith, and then. Attack of the Clones in um, from worst to best. My list is unconventional, like I am in most things, but I I still defend my choices. Worst is Attack of the Clones. That's not the controversial thing. I go Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, then Phantom Menace. I think there's enough in Phantom Menace that I still find enjoyable to this day. Even now, I still think Phantom Menace, and that's a hill that I'll die on. That Phantom Menace is better than Revenge of the Sith. It's um it's got more pluses than minuses. Um, plus, there's more practical sets in Phantom Menace, there, so it just feels more real to me of, like, the tangibilization, I guess, is a word that gets thrown around in movies. Like, I, it feels like a world that is lived in and believable. Um, there's better characters, I think, with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. Um, I just enjoy Phantom Menace more than Revenge of the Sith, and it's a little more consistent, at least from a story... Well, it's still confusing, but it's a little more consistent than Revenge of the Sith, which is kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I, I totally understand. I'm, I'm not offended by it. I, I understand how you can arrive at that conclusion. I'd have to, I'd have to watch Revenge of the Sith again and really kind of compare the two. Um, yeah, the middle part of Revenge of the Sith is is just as difficult to get to any part of of Episode One, but you know, I, I they're they're not. I mean, for anyone, I mean, think about movies that you've seen in your life that are just bad, like movies that like you couldn't recommend to anyone. Um, and nor would you, yeah, and yeah, it's very true. Yeah. Um, or as you, I think you said is one of the best, uh, accidental comedies of all time. Uh, I mean, but seriously, like movies that are just bad, like these aren't bad. I don't put them in the same category. Um, they're just being put up against the, some of the most iconic films. If, if for a lot of people, they're the best films in cinema history. Like how you how do you repeat that? How do you capture lightning in a bottle twice? So, um, in comparison to that, and we as humanity have an ugly, ugly habit of comparing things. I I'm just as guilty. You know, if you're going to be in the same universe, you have the expectations that come with it, and and regardless of quality, the fact that George decided to tell a much different story, um, than than what a lot of people think he ought to have was dividing people at the very beginning, regardless of the quality of the film um, that would have been produced. So um, for me, I mean, if you're really objective here, trying to take emotion out of it or expectations, preconceived notions, they're serviceable movies. Uh, they're just not as good as the original trilogy. Uh, but I think that would be a incredibly, um, just like with a sequel trilogy, I, I think if you're, if you're going into it hoping that they they match up somehow. I think that's the wrong expectations. I don't, I don't want to use the word wrong and a light and lightly here because it's like, let them be their own thing. And I think if you're trying to, if you want filmmakers to basically make a remake, which is, you know, a lot of people accuse the force awakens of doing, um, then the only way as star Wars fans that we are going to, um, have, um, new material that's not being exhaustive is you're going to have to do new things and take risks. Now that's what Ryan Johnson did. And regardless of what do you think about the movies being good or bad, he was demonized for doing very quote unquote unfamiliar things. And I think as a star Wars fandom, we're the pickiest and most divisive because we want new things but yet we are unwilling to embrace them when they're presented to us because we think personally our ideas are so much better. And I don't know why it's so toxic in this fan base more so than any. I don't get that. Um, maybe it's because according to – yes. I mean, Do you think it's because of Kathleen Kennedy thinking that – basically saying there's no source material? I mean in a way she's uh, – okay. All right. Yeah, I... No. Okay. Well, I mean, I, in a way, she's right. Like, we don't have comic books, and and that that drives the film as far as like source material goes. Um, like at least historically. Yeah, very much. I mean, um, yeah, it's very yes. I, I get it. Now, if the film future films that come out, like if I do an older public film, I would hope and I would pray that they derive some of that content ideas from existing, again, I guess like old canon, um, instead of just trying to start anew. But um, as far as the prequels go, man, I really appreciate you having me in on this because 
as just watching the Phantom Menace, like I, I just can't say they're terrible. I can't. I just can't do it. I've ne- I've never bought that. I didn't think it as a kid. I don't think it now. Um, they're not as good, but I I wasn't. You know, episode one's so vastly different. I it. How do you compare it to the original trilogy? The obviously the characters. Some characters are are there, but like the the story that George is trying to tell is so different. I, so I don't know. I think that's a mistake that we make sometimes. Sorry to there. There's my rant. There's my Superman. Rant. Oh no, you at least in your rants keep your emotions under control. I <laughs> yeah. Well, that I think will wrap us up this week for our prequel discussion. Next week we'll be covering the original trilogy, so buckle in for that. I'm sure we'll yes, have one or yeah. two things to talk about with that. Uh, Michael, always Possibly. a pleasure to have you on. If you haven't already, subscribe to Thanks. us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether that's Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on the main YouTube channel at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.